0: Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Um, I got to do uh, youth ministry for uh, a long time. You yeah, we'll just go with a long time. It was a long time. Um, I had hair when I started youth ministry. We'll just go with that. Uh, and uh, this this shirt that I'm wearing is from... Uh, six years ago, I believe, um, this was our our official youth group theme shirt here about six years ago, back when I thought that was a good idea and a good use of money. Um, and uh, I don't know if you can read it. It says, "misfits," misfit, misfit, misfit. Don't add an S where there isn't one. It says, misfit. Um, this was our, our theme for the year. Um, and we used the verse we're going to talk about this morning to uh, to talk about this idea of fitting in. Um, about being different, about what it might mean to be following Jesus as a teenager, as a young adult. Uh, we're talking about different here as we start off 2022. And the last couple of years have definitely been Different, or at least different than what we had come to expect. Not particularly different in human history. There have been rough political seasons. There have been uh, plagues and pandemics before. Uh, There's been uh, divided politics and divided countries and divided churches before. Um, But it's been different than what maybe we had come to expect. And really, we'd come to expect that we could expect, that, that we could see the pattern of how life was going to go, and we could make plans and have our expectations, and in general, see those expectations come to reality. And we really like to be able to predict, to be able to see a pattern and, and follow it and be able to know what we're expecting and even if you're somebody who is actually variety is the spice of life my favorite thing is surprise parties which you monster anyway my favorite thing is surprise parties I just love the the idea that that you know life is just surprising and new things around every corner it's just the best okay fine you still really like to be able to expect and predict what somebody's going to do at a stoplight Have you ever thought about how much we depend on the people around us to do what we expect at a stoplight? Because the light itself doesn't actually do anything if the people, the drivers, don't do what we expect them to do. We really like patterns and expectations. We like them so much that we are constantly on the lookout, subconsciously, typically, for people to pattern ourselves after. We're on the lookout for, have you ever been going to an event, and you're like, what is the dress code for this event? Like, what do I have to, uh, when I uh, am going to stuff, I'm like, okay, so I'm supposed to be the speaker, so I'm supposed to dress a certain way, but I don't know how everybody else dress. Hey, okay, we can, I tend to overthink things. Anyway, you do, I know my wife is shocked by that revelation, um, we, we go, okay, I need some idea of how to pattern, how I dress, how I'm gonna speak, how I interact with other people, some way of knowing that I'm stepping into this situation correctly. Uh, I don't typically wear T-shirts when I preach because I have seen the research that what you wear changes how people hear you not, not just how they see you, not just how they think of you, but how they actually hear you. This is part of the stuff we never talk about when we're talking about dress codes. But, but the way we dress changes people's, not only initial impression of us, but changes the way people even hear what we have to say. So I'm asking for a little bit uh, of, of grace this morning, I suppose, that you'll, you'll still hear me out. And, and I do want to acknowledge that there are people who because of the way your, your brain is, is wired, this idea of patterning yourself after others is really complex and takes a lot of intentionality. That you're constantly trying to go, okay, I don't understand these weird human traditions. Like why does somebody put out a hand and expect me to like shake it? I don't get it. Why do we do these social grace things? I don't understand. And so for you, It's really hard and takes a lot of of focus and concentration to go, how do I fit? What am I supposed to say? And you feel like you're always sticking your foot in your mouth and you're not quite sure how to engage in the social situation. And, And I get that. In some ways, I want you to hear that that's a superpower because it means that while the rest of us are subconsciously patterning ourselves after people and situations around us, what we see in advertisements, whatever it may be, You have to be intentional about how you choose this. You're so aware that it's happening and that it's a choice. For the rest of us, it's mostly subconscious. We're we're mostly just uh, kind of finding our our way through the world, trying to find the, the footprints to step in to know what to do next. Again, everything from what to wear to what to say to how to act. Even if you're a, a trailblazer, you're the next Steve Jobs, you are got to do things differently. Even then, your brain is aware of everybody else's footprints and going, okay, there's footprints that go this way, and there's footprints that go this way. I'm going to go this way, okay? And that's fabulous. It's awesome. We need people who think that way, but we're all aware of where other people's footprints are. Are, and so we really do need to be intentional about who we're choosing to pattern after or to pattern ourselves against and go opposite of. And this is particularly important for Jesus' followers for Christians, uh, because we are supposed to follow Jesus. It is his pattern and his footprints. It's, God has said, here is the way that I want you to walk. Here are the boundaries I want you to have in your life. This is the way to an abundant life. That I wired you so that if you, if you go this route, you're going to live a full and abundant and joy-filled life. And then Jesus came to demonstrate that for us, to show us the way. And so we pattern our lives, our behaviors, even what we say, how we engage with the people around us on what Jesus did. And this is why, part of why, some people buck religion. And they go, no, 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 I don't don't wanna do this your way. I don't want my life to look like yours. I I want to, to go my own way. I want to have my life look however I want to create it to be, if that's you, first of all, awesome. That's fantastic. Be aware, be aware of who you are emulating then. Because as you step in their footprints, your life will end up where their life has ended up. That's how how footprints work. And so I look at Jesus and I go, okay, I want to be intentional about my life looking like that. And then I look at where Jesus' life ends up on a cross and go, oh, do I really? (laughs) Do I really wanna step in those footprints? We have to be intentional about choosing these, these things, following the pattern that God has set out for us. Now, where I think religion really becomes a problem is not in when we say, hey, here's how God has told us to walk. Religion, any religion, becomes a problem when the religious authority steps in and says, your life needs to look like mine. Your life needs to look like all the rules that I've set. Like here's God's rules and boundaries, but here's all the way I've interpreted those and maybe changed them just a little for modern times. Your life needs to look like my life. This is the thing that Jesus, when, uh, when Jesus yelled at people, and Jesus definitely, I mean, he called a whole group of people snakes. I, he, he definitely had moments where he was like, no, I'm not putting up with this garbage. He wasn't yelling at the world. He wasn't yelling at the people that everybody else thought were sinners. He was yelling at the religious leaders who were taking the rules of God and saying, yeah, yeah, all of those are great. Let's pile on a few more so that your life, the way you live is more comfortable for me. He said, no, we're not gonna have that. This isn't about follow the religious authority people. This is about we're following after God. We're patterning our lives after how he has laid out our lives to work. Uh, Missionaries, fast forward uh, nearly two millennia, missionaries discovered in the 20th century that they were taking the gospel to all of these foreign nations Out of the U.S. and out of Europe, they're they're going in the classic sort of to a hut in Africa or Indonesia or wherever, taking the gospel. And what they discovered is that they weren't just bringing the gospel, they were bringing Western culture. And at first they were like, great, we're civilizing them. And eventually they went, actually, all we're supposed to be bringing is the gospel, And they adjusted how they were taking the gospel so that it was allowing people in their culture and in the way that they lived to follow Jesus, to pattern their lives after God, not pattern their lives after Western civilization. This is what the culture is yelling at religion for today. I don't want my life to look like yours. Very few people Very few people who have rejected Jesus have actually rejected Jesus. They've rejected what they understand religion to be. They've rejected the church. They've rejected people saying, well, but you need to look like this and act like this and vote like this if you're going to belong to this God. Taking all of this stuff that God has said, building extra on top of it and saying your life needs to look like mine. We need to be very careful about who we are patterning our lives after. And this has been a problem forever. And so the Apostle Paul, in the days, years, right after, in the grand scheme of history, right after Jesus's life and death and resurrection, wrote these words to the Roman church. And, and this is uh, the theme verse that we had, this misfit year, Romans 12 He writes to them, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Wouldn't that be awesome to know God's will? We mean, when we say God's will, I think we need to define it a little bit because this is, uh, one of the things that we, would, we talk a lot about with uh, youth and young adults, I know when I was in high school, I don't remember anybody telling me this. I just understood this to be the culture I was growing up in, that I, as a teenager, as a high schooler, needed to learn God's will for my life. And what we meant by learn God's will for your life was learn who God wants you to marry, what job he wants you to get, and where he wants you to go to college. Maybe in that order. And it was about learn the choices that God has laid out for you that you have to make. That was God's will. And we put all this pressure on uh, 16, 17, 18-year-olds to figure out what God wants them to do with the rest of their life. Now, how many of us, some decades on, go, who I thought I was gonna be at 18 (laughs) and who I am today? These are different people. We put a lot of pressure on, uh, I mean, I've, I've thought for a lot of years doing youth ministry, we, we talk about uh, peer pressure and, and the pressure that, that teenagers put on each other. As I've gotten older, I think I've realized more and more the amount of pressure we put on 18 to 22, 18 to 25 year olds to say, okay, well now you're an adult Whenever we define that that happens, they turn 18, they graduate college, whatever it is, you're now an adult, so now your life, whatever it has looked like, it now needs to look like this. This is how we define adulthood, and you now need to conform to this pattern and this way of living. Unfortunately, that pattern appears to be different depending on which parent you talk to. We face this pressure to to, uh, become some behavioral expectation, some pattern of how we live our lives to fit into what we know the will of God to be. And we think, man, if we could just know, and this is how I, I felt like I was, I was raised, if we could just know the will of God, if we could just know the right answers to, to who, when, and what, where you're going to college, if we, if we just know all those right answers, that would fix Everything, because if I could know the will of God, then I could know the future, I could step into that future, and I would be the super Christian I'm supposed to be because I would know all of this stuff. We are living in a day and age uh, strongly influenced by the Enlightenment period that's now hundreds of years ago, where essentially we decided as a culture that we had subdued nature we had reached the peak of humanity in some way, that we had subdued nature and now it was human nature that we had to get under control. And if we could just know all the right stuff and if we could teach all the right stuff and if everybody would just know all the right things, the more we learn, the better off we are. If we just know everything, then we can elevate human nature and then we will really be at the peak of humanity. And this has absolutely showed up in the church. If we just know all the right answers, if I can memorize the right Bible verses, if I can know all the right theology, if I can know the will of God, I will know enough and I will be that super Christian. I'll I'll, I'll mentally have reached this point where I understand that knowledge is the ultimate power and I have it. And now I can follow God with all of this power of knowledge that I have. And yet I know people or maybe better said, know of people, who have way more of the Bible memorized than I do, who know the church history and the theology of the church way better than I do. And it's just facts to know. In fact, there are some people who know all those things just so they can try to tear apart faith and tear apart the legacy of Jesus and tear apart the church. It hasn't changed their life. They don't see it as anything true or transformational. It's just things they can quote. Memorization and knowledge are really good things. They really are. They're just not an end unto themselves. Now, some people then have looked at that and gone, okay, having all the knowledge and all the wisdom, wisdom, which we just mean knowing a lot of facts, Having all of these facts memorized isn't doing us enough good. What we really need, they'll swing the other way, what we really need is to have an emotional connection with God. It's not enough to just have head knowledge. We need to have an emotional, heart-loving connection with God. And, And the more emotional I am, the more passionate I am, then the better my faith is and the more of a super Christian I've become. And we swing the other direction. And again, like knowledge, passion and emotion are really good things, but they are not an end unto themselves. Emotions and feelings are not the goal. Look at 12.2 again. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God teach you. Nope. But let God stir up in you. Nope but let God transform you. God is more focused on formation than on facts and feelings. God is more focused on formation than on facts and feelings. Does God want us to dig into his word and memorize scripture and learn truth? Yes, absolutely. But only in so much as it creates growth and change and transformation. Does God want us to be in touch with our heart and our emotions? Does he want us to understand that that he's in touch with our heart and our emotions? Yes, absolutely. But only in so much as it creates growth and change and transformation. God's ultimate desire, his ultimate will, we could say, is that we are made more and more into the image of God, that we better reflect his image, his character into the world around us and that through our growth and transformation, the world around us would grow and be transformed and uh, enter into this relationship with God. God's ultimate desire is that we are transformed to be more holy, more gracious, more loving, more whole, more at peace, If God just wanted a whole bunch of people who knew all the right answers, he would just make robots (laughs) that know all the right answers. We could just be computers that can spit out facts. But God has always been more interested in relationship than in right answers, always. And yes, God wants that relationship with us to have an emotional connection to it to involve feelings and emotions. But God has always been more interested in how we're being formed than in how we feel. God has always been more interested in how we're being formed than how we feel. And because the focus is on building relationships, God is not going to force anything. We have a God who is always forming, but never forcing always forming but never forcing which maybe should make us reflect on our own character and our own interactions with each other and the world god is always forming never forcing because his objective his goal for us is that we would enter into this loving relationship with us or with him he desperately wants you and i to grow in our maturity, in our wholeness, to better reflect his character into the world. But more than that, he desperately wants you and me and the world around us to understand that he is love. He wants this relationship, this communion we talked about earlier, to be built on the fact that he is love, and love is never, ever forced can't be, or it's not love. And so he lovingly and patiently and graciously forms our hearts and minds. So let's talk about how he does that. How does God go about forming us? If he won't simply overpower us and force it, how does God choose to go about forming us? These are four things that came to mind for me. I have no doubt that there is a longer list than this out there somewhere. Here are four things that came to mind for me. One is knowledge. Uh, and I'll confess that I picked this one in part because I don't want to be misunderstood and that, that knowledge is somehow bad, that, that uh, we just need to reject learning, <laughs> uh, partly because I do want my kids to go to school tomorrow. Not tomorrow, Tuesday. Tomorrow's the day off, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, G- here, Jesus said this. We'll put in Jesus's words. This is John 8, verse 32. He said, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth. It is good to know the truth. The truth will set you free. But notice that it is not, you will know the truth and you will be satisfied with being smarter than the people around you. Or you will know the truth and you'll be able to win all of those arguments you want to win. So you will know the truth and you will be set free, you'll be transformed. That by knowing the truth of who God is and how he sees you, those habits and hangups and the things that drag you down and hold you back, you'll be able to discard those to embrace the truth of who God is and who you are in his love. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Sky or Jesse, I, sorry guys, I don't remember which one, uh, said this as we were talking through this scripture. They said, transformation of the mind includes seeing the world clearly, seeing the narratives we're given, and recognizing what God is doing. In other words, having our minds transformed is part of that, at least, is recognizing what is true and what isn't, and seeing what God might be up to in the world around us, paying attention to what the will and the work of God is. And I think the right word for that is mindset. It's mindset. That God transforms our hearts and minds and character by seeing how we, by changing, by transforming how we see the world. Well, we talked a little bit this fall about having a missionary mindset, about seeing the world in the same way that our friends in Bosnia-Herzegovina see the world around them, that they're showing up to their everyday jobs not just to earn a paycheck, not to stand out as the super Christian in the group, but to engage with the people around them, to build relationship with them so that they can earn the right to tell them, earn the opportunity to tell them about a relationship with Jesus, about God's love for them. Essentially, they're on the lookout for opportunities to form a relationship, not to force anything, to form a relationship with the people around them, so that they can invite them into a formed relationship and a forming relationship with Jesus. Mindset includes seeing the blessings in the hard circumstances, we, we call that gratitude. Seeing that God is good even when my circumstances are not. Learning to see that I am not the center of the universe. And even though I live in the most powerful country in the world, that does not make us the center of the universe. There's more going on in the world around us. Learning to see that some of the hard circumstances we come into can be some of the best things for us. Many of us have experiences that we would look back on and go, I don't ever want to do that again. But... I'm glad it happened, or maybe more accurately, I don't ever wanna go through that again, but I'm glad God did something good out of it. Don't even have to be glad it happened, just recognizing I'm, I'm glad God, I'm grateful, I'm gratitude that God did something good out of it. Because one of the things that God uses to form us is hardship. It is the hard things in life that we go through. In that same letter to the Roman church, Paul writes this in Romans chapter five. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Do you hear the transformation words in there? That as we go through hard things, we are transformed in our endurance, in our character, in our hope. If you believe that God's goal in your life should be to make you more comfortable, confident, and carefree, you are going to miss the will of God for your life. You just will. If you think the goal of following Jesus is to have God take away all of the problems in your life so that you're more comfortable, to make all those people around you change so that life works better for you, so that you don't have anything that might cause you frustration anymore. Your life is not going to look like anybody in scripture. And you're gonna miss out on the will of God for your life because it comes from being transformed, from literally having our mind changed. Uh, modern science has proven that when, when, I mean, when we talk about changing our mind, we usually are talking about decisions. I'm gonna make a different decision. Modern science has shown that we can literally, physically change our brains. We can rewire them. Neurons that connect in one way can be changed to connect in a different way. In our addiction recovery stuff, we've talked about Uh, how we have highways that we have built in our brain. There's a certain way of thinking, certain way of coping that we have built, that we're going down the highway of life and something sends us sideways. We go, okay, I'm gonna take this exit. And we always take the same exit. It always leads us into bad places. As we talk about road construction, we're building new highways. We're literally creating different connections in our brains that by what we practice, by what we pattern our lives after, by the repetition of those patterns, we're actually changing our brains. And one of the things that changes our brains the fastest or, or leads us into changing uh, minds the fastest is feeling some pinch of pain, of hardship, of things are not going the way I want them to. Oftentimes, men and women will show up in a change group, an addiction group of some sort because the pain of how life going, is going has finally become worse than the pain that they're trying to avoid with that addiction. In fact, almost always, if they're showing up, it's because the pain that their addiction is causing has become worse than the pain they're trying to avoid. We get this pinch of pain and hardship and we go, okay, God, I." I guess I've got to do something different. Hardship is one of the ways God changes our minds. Jesus promised, he promised that we would have trouble in this world. We will. He never promised to take it away. What he did promise, even more importantly, is he promised that he will be with us always in all of those mountaintop experiences, in all of those valleys of the shadow of death, Jesus says, I'm, I'm with you. And I will walk through those joys and those hardships with you. Because one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, that we are transformed by God is through relationship. It's through relationship. And we're formed, transformed by every relationship that we are in. Especially the longer you're with someone, The more they shape who you are, they shape your perspective. They shape uh, your habits or your mannerisms. They shape even the way you talk. You spend enough time around people with a certain accent, and sure enough, that accent becomes part of how you speak. We're transformed by the people around us. God will use the people in our lives to form us, but even more than that, God wants to use his relationship with us to form our habits and our perspective, the way we engage with other people and speak to other people, forming our knowledge and our mindset, our actions and reactions based on this relationship with him. So he enters into relationship with us, He walks with us, setting the stage for our growth. And when we run into these opportunities to be transformed by the truth, by hardship, by whatever it may be, we have the opportunity to choose to be formed into bitterness and anger, resentment, or to be formed into the grace and the goodness, into character and endurance and hope. molded into a deeper understanding of God's love, a deeper understanding of his heart, of his desires. Because ultimately the point of having our minds transformed is not just to know stuff. It's to know God. We are transformed to know God not just know about him, not just know his, some facts about him or, or quote some truth about him, but, but to actually know God, to be in relationship, to know him and his heart and his desire and his will for us. So don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me pray for us as we open ourselves to God's transformation in our lives. Father God, thank you that you are always with us. And that you want to invite us into deeper and deeper relationship with you, no matter how much of a mess we feel like we are, no matter how much we feel like we do or don't deserve. God, you invite us to move deeper into this relationship with you, to experience your love in a deeper and a fuller way so that we can be transformed more and more into your image so that we can reflect your love to each other, to the world around us so that we can know you better, know the image that we are supposed to be reflecting, know your love and care, know the truth of who you are and how you see us. God, whatever barriers we put up between ourselves and the transformation that you wanna create in us, would you tear them down? Would we be changed to be more like you, more holy, more gracious, more loving? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.